Well, we have to say this has been a special morning, hasn't it? Thank you so much, brother and sister. You know, as I heard you speak of the new law in Russia, and in your constitution, religious liberty is guaranteed. It's guaranteed in our constitution, too, but some of the same forces that are trying to shut you down want to shut us down. So as we continue to intercede for Alex, for his church, brothers and sisters in that land, we sure need to be busy interceding for our own, that Satan will not gain the victory. As you said, that's the enemy, Satan, not people. Warfare. Have you ever had a song stick in your head and it just won't go away? That happens to me all the time. This past week, of all things, it was a Bob Dylan song. Now, why would a preacher have a Bob Dylan song in his head? Come gather round people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown. And if your time to you is worth saving, you better start swimming or you sink like a bone. Well, the times, they are a-changing. I cannot get that whine that Bob Dylan has, but uh, I just couldn't get that song out of my head all week, especially the last line, the times, they're a-changing. Of course, Bob Dylan wrote that song in a time in which he and those associated with him thought, Tremendous, unique changes were taking place. And you know, I thought, well, if that song won't go out of my head, it must have something to do with the sermon today. So <laughs> we've kind of moved down that road. Times are changing. You know, as I thought back over my, now I'll be 86 in six more weeks. And as I thought back over the years I've lived, I must say that in every era, in which I have lived, it could be said, the times there are changing. I remember the Depression. I was born in 1930, the year after the great stock market crash, and all the things that people had to do in an innovative way to survive during those years. It was the years of hobos and the years of bums, and by the way, there's a difference between a hobo and a bum. The hobos were men who had lost their jobs and had no hope, and they traveled about the country on boxcars, but they really weren't freeloaders. We lived near the railroad tracks. It was not unusual for a knock on the door, and a man who had just gotten off the train, and he would ask my mother, do you have any chores I can do for a plate of food? And mother would have them chop wood, stack wood, hold the garden, give them a plate of food, sit on the back step, eat it, and go on the way. They weren't asking for a handout, but a chance to work. Many changes we saw during the Depression. Then when I was nine years old, Hitler invaded Poland, and when I was 11, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and World War II began, and you cannot imagine all the changes that we saw during those years. After World War II, the post-war years in which Prosperity was something such as we had not seen before. America and Russia were the two major powers of the world. Change? Yes. Then the Korean War. My classmates went to Korea. I was working for the railroad, which was a 
essential defense industry, so I could not be drafted, but America became, in its own mind, the policeman of the world at that time. Changes. Then the Vietnam era and all the changes, the civil rights movement, all the changes, and many of us can remember the time when the Holy Spirit leaped over the walls of Pentecostalism and began to invade traditional churches. Times they are a changing. Most of us would assume change is just a part of existence. And really it's that way, isn't it? We have in the tape room archives of cassette tapes of sermons, seminars, musical activities, and radio programs that for 40 years took place as a part of this body. George Jones used to have a radio program, and I remember in the 1970s hearing Ed and Nancy interviewed on that program one night. That tape is there. And there was a time when having a tape ministry was a powerful means of outreach, but today most people don't even have a means of playing cassette tapes. And so we've moved to CDs, and some have moved on to MP3s and other things. Change. Change. 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Greek philosopher Heraclitus put forth the idea that the essential trait of life is change. He said, life is flux. And many took hold of that and said, yes, the way you can tell the difference between something that's dead and something that's alive, if it's alive, it's changing. And life is a measure of, I mean, change is a measure of whether or not something is alive. You can put a, a flint stone on the shelf in your bedroom and go there next week, it's the same. The next week, it's the same. And 10 years later, it's the same. But the grass in your front yard, you have to mow it every week. It's living. It's changing. So whether in the vegetable world or the animal world, according to this view, <laughs> the thing that distinguishes life from things that are not living is if it's living, it's changing. And most of us can say, yes, <laughs> it's not as easy to climb up the steps as it used to be because things are changing. We become so accustomed to change that we just assume everything Changes And indeed, in every realm about us, it seems the times are changing. This morning, I want to talk about the most important things in heaven and earth that don't change. The truly living one is God. God does not change. In the epistle of James, we read this, Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No variation or shifting shadow. He's talking about the character of God, the goodness of God that continually flows to us. Now, he was echoing what we find in Malachi 3.6, and that in Malachi, God is, is pronouncing judgment upon the nation of Israel. It's a nation that had become tremendously irreverent, a nation that really had little respect for the laws of God, where people were bringing the sacrifices. Instead of bringing a, a lamb without blemish, as God said, they were bringing something lame they wanted to get rid of anyway. 
And God spoke rebuke. But then he said this to Malachi in Malachi 3.10, I, Jehovah, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Here he was saying, you're a wicked nation. I ought to just kick you, kick you out. <laughs> but I don't change. I'm a God of mercy, a God of patience, a God that really longs to see repentance. So I have not consumed you. Psalm 103 tells us that God is slow to anger. Verses 8 to 10 of that psalm are so beautiful. When Saul had sinned against God, just by he disobeyed very clear commands of God. And so the Lord took the kingdom away from him to give it to David. And Samuel telling Saul, the kingdom has been taken from you, said this in 1 Samuel 15, 29. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. God does not lie. God does not change. God does not change his mind. Now, I've spoken to some of you about a book I've recently been reading. I always try to read, not always, but from time to time, tried to read material by those who disagree with me. <laughs> and I do that in order to test my beliefs. Is what I believe really solid? Am I somehow deceived? So if you have a different point of view, let me hear your point of view. One of those that I've been reading is a man who is arguing that God is not consistent, but God changes. And he points out that in the scripture there are several times that King James says God repented or God changed his mind. I went to every single passage that that man cited, all of them in the Old Testament, and in every one of them the word translated repented or changed his mind is the Hebrew word Naham. Naham is an onomatopoetic word. Onomatopoeia means the word sounds like what it means. Naham. A sigh. That's in Genesis 6, where the King James says, It repented God, he had made man, but the word really says, God grieved, God sighed, really, not changed his mind. Or wished he had never done it. He sighed. Every single passage that this man cited. It was always the word Naham. God was grieving over the condition of those people he had created. Grieving over this. Grieving over that. Grieving over the other. God does not change. And one of the beautiful attributes of his character he is kind. He waits for repentance. Remember Peter talking to those people who said, What do you mean Jesus is coming again? You know, we've been waiting forever. Nothing's ever changed. Peter said they forget the flood. That was a change. God is not slack concerning his promises, but is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is giving time for more and more people to come into the kingdom. Because he is a compassionate and loving God. Naham. 
Now, more recent versions have translated the King James, but unfortunately that phrase still sticks in the minds of many people. Now, there are times in which totally apart from the word itself, you read of the situation in which you say, well, God changed his mind. Let me point out the traits or the characteristics of those times. Some of those are when God has said, I'm going to bring calamity, the people repented, and he didn't do it. In other words, it's always been conditional. I will bring calamity if you repent. It won't happen. Jesus said, remember, if you repent, if you don't repent, you shall all likewise perish. An example is what we're talking about is in Jonah. Remember when God told Jonah that he was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach, and Jonah took a ticket to Tarshish and tried to escape, and finally, you remember, a great fish swallowed him, belched him out on the shore, and he ended up in Nineveh and preached, and the king and everybody repented. They put in sackcloth and ashes, and instead of Jonah saying whoopee, he got mad. Here's Jonah 4, 1 to 2. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to Jehovah and said, Please, Jehovah, was not this what I said while I was on my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And the word relents is naham. God grieves over the potential of having to bring destruction. God does not change. He is a compassionate and loving God. Now there are some other times in which you see God putting forth a test. This is the case of Moses. You remember when Moses came down from the mountain, he found that Aaron, at the instigation of the people, had made a golden calf, and the people were worshiping. And God described these people as being a stiff-necked people, and so on and so on. And then he said, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start over all over again, and I'm going to have a chosen people that will be your descendants, not the descendants of Jacob, but yours. It was a test given to Moses. Moses passed the test. Oh, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And God didn't. So it was a test that was given. So did God change his mind? We really see a test that was there. Again, the word is Naham. God's a merciful God, always has been, will not change and gives chance after chance after chance for us to repent and seek him. Now we have to recognize there are those times when God says a line has been crossed and there's no way to come back. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example. God looked at the horrors of that nation, the horrors of those five cities actually, and saw the horror that was there took out the righteous people, Lot and his family, and destroyed those cities of the plain. They had crossed the line. Repentance in them just couldn't happen. They were gone. 
Don't you know God grieved over that? The flood, we already talked about that. Humanity had gotten so far, every thought and intent of man's heart, Genesis says, was unto evil. God said they've crossed the line. But here's a family, one righteous family. We'll save this one, just like he did Lot and his family. But the line was crossed. John 5.16, we're urged to pray for people that sin. And, but John wrote, I do not say that you should pray for those who have sinned a sin unto death. What's that? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> we do have that teaching of Jesus. Every sin that a person commits, blasphemy, they'll be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That'll not be forgiven them in this life or the next, he says. That certainly has to be one. Now, as I read that passage... I don't know for sure when someone has committed a sin unto death, so I'm going to keep praying for them <laughs> because the compassion of God is so great. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't we thankful that that's true? Aren't we thankful that that's true? God does not change. He is compassionate. He is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. By the way, there are two Greek words that we translate as will. <clears throat> One is the word boule. Boule means something that is God's immutable will. It's going to happen, like the second coming of Jesus. The other word is thelo or thelemi, and it means a wish or a desire. It is not God's desire that any perish. As a disciple of Jesus, as a slave of God, I don't worry about the boule that's going to happen. But I want to know the thelema. What's on God's heart? I can do that and bring him joy. That's God's wish, God's desire. But it's never God's wish or desire that any should perish. But he gives us a choice to say yes or no to him. There's a second dimension of things I'd want to talk about, and these are things that the New Testament says do not change, and one is doctrine. Remember Jude, as he was writing to the church, he said, Now, brothers, I originally planned to write to you a, a letter about our, our wonderful salvation that we all have. But then, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you can earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Notice that phrase, once for all, handed down to the saints. And then when you read the epistle of Jude, he describes those, as he said, to have crept into the church unaware and they're changing the doctrine of God. And the, the outstanding trait that they have is this. They are irreverent people. God's God, so what? Verse 8. Yet in the same way these men by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, revile angelic, 
angelic majesties in verse 10. These men revile the things they do not understand, things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these. They are destroyed. They did not reverence God as God, and therefore they felt they had the liberty to change doctrine. Jude says, no. <laughs> the doctrine was once for all delivered to the saints. Writing to Timothy, Paul wrote, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay any attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. Twelve times in Paul's two letters to Timothy, he exhorts him concerning the importance of sound doctrine. And when God himself has given us doctrine once for all, who would dare say, God, I know what you said, but I have a better idea. I'm going to change it. Doctrine unchanged once for all. There's several events in the Bible that are spoken of as once for all. Let me, again, hope we don't get tired of Greek, but a couple of Greek words. First word is hapax, and the second one, a cognate of that, is ephapax. Both of these words mean something done one time for all time. That's a term, of course, that's used in the Jude passage we read just a moment ago. One of which it is spoken is the death of Jesus being sufficient for our salvation. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Inasmuch as is it appointed unto men to die once, that's the word apox, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once apox to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await for him. In Peter chapter 3, For Christ also died for sins, a pox, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Oh, what a thought. And aren't we thankful that in the night that he was betrayed, Jesus sitting with his apostles took the bread and said, This which is broken for you is my body. Eat of it. After supper, he took the last cup, the cup of blessing, and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. All of you drank of it. And then he said, As oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And from the very beginning... When the church gathered together on Sunday, which later came to be called the Lord's Day, the Roman name was Sunday, the central thing about their gathering was the Lord's Supper. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying, I trust the cross to guarantee heaven to me. When I partake with someone, I cannot keep from saying, my brother, my sister, today we're declaring 
someday we're going to walk the streets of heaven together because together we're trusting the cross of Jesus. Once for all, he died for us. Not like the Old Testament where he had to kill a lamb ever so often. But once for all, he gave himself for us. Let me just read some more verses that say that very same thing. Romans 6.10 For the death that he died, he died to sin, and this is the word ephox, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 7.27 He does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 9.12 Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And Hebrews 10.10 By this will we have been sanctified through the suffering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'm not going to get to heaven because I'm such a good fellow. <laughs> I'll tell you I'm not, nor are you. <laughs> We're going to get to heaven because once for all, Jesus died to make atonement for our sin. Well, we could go on and on this morning as we talk about the fact that indeed change is a part of our lives. Seems everything changes. Nations rise and fall in America. Political parties come and go. Babies are born. We all die sooner or later. Musical styles change. Bob Dylan isn't popular anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Culture changes, language changes, but the most important things are unchanged. They are once for all. Father God, we're thankful that we do not have to worry about shifts in your attitude, but you're constant. Thank you for that. We thank you that your love is so constant and so great that Jesus Christ went to the cross once for all to atone for our sins. We pray that this truth will live in our hearts as we continue to trust you in every situation. Through Jesus, amen.